0: Father, I thank you for my brother. I thank you for what he has meant to us as the body of Christ. And we pray your blessing on him as he shares the word of God more accurately and to our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Give him words and uh, the ability to communicate and our hearts to be responsive. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ron to multitask here a little bit. <coughs> I've got my notes and I've got my uh, remote for my, I'm going to try to do slides today. And um, as you're all well aware, I'm not all that good at multitasking. <laughs> With the music, I apologize for that. I, I use slides to teach every day of the week. The only thing is I do the same lessons over and over and over again. <laughs> so i, I don 't even have to look at notes; I just know it just by looking at the slides unfortunately i don 't have the luxury of, of uh, rehearsal for this. If I, in fact, when I do a new class or a new lesson, the first couple classes I feel kind of sorry for <laughs> by the time I get to the end of the run when I have twelve classes of the same lesson. the last classes they get they get a nice smooth presentation. <laughs> Let me just pray before we begin tuned lord i just, I just ask that you would uh, that your word would have the authority that we would have soft hearts that your word can be uh, like a double-edged sword that penetrates. Lord, give us hearts that, that are seeking truth and seeking you and satisfied with no less. Pray that the, uh, that the presentation wouldn't distract from your word either. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I changed Ron's title slide a little bit. Peter to the Saints everywhere. There's a long list of places. It's not just Rome. But uh, I'm calling this In the True Knowledge. And uh, in doing that, I'm going to go back and just read through the first eight verses of um, 2 Peter chapter 1 to kind of bring us all up to speed on that. And uh, so you can read along. Some of the print will be a little bit small, and I might be in the way for those of you on that side. But uh, just bear with me here. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence, In your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is such a rich passage. When um, we were preparing for the uh, weekend, you know, you go through a passage that you've read so many times, and you realize that you know, in many ways, it going through the Bible is like it's like walking down a hallway of a mansion. You've got b- beautiful, ornate woodwork and you know, beautiful handcrafted doors down this long hallway. And you can, you can walk down the hallway and enjoy all that craftsmanship, but when you open a door and you stick your head in, you realize that there's a whole other mansion full of treasure inside there. And, it, and in fact, it, it's, it, it looks bigger than it looks possible than it could be from the hallway. It's like it opens up into a whole world. And if you go in there, you can be there a long time. And you find other doors and they lead to other whole worlds of treasure. And, and you realize, whoa, you know, you're we're in John seventeen three now, and, and then there's a whole treasure trove there and and uh, and then whoa, Jeremiah twenty four seven. And you could all these these mansions are all interconnected and it's endless. It's endless. You can dig down as far as you want. You can go out as far as you want. And you can spend your whole life and you never get to the end of it. It would take more than a lifetime. And that's what Bible, you know, well-known Bible teachers say. It takes more than a lifetime to go through it. And it's a lot more than we have time for this morning, too. So. so what Ron asked me to focus on is really these three phrases. In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord and through the true knowledge of him, and, in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, now, when something's repeated three times, you know it's pretty significant. This was Peter's last letter. this was kind of his his last will and testament, kind of a swan song in a way, and so he's not going to be talking about trivialities. so we don't want to um, miss the point. we want to poke our head in here we want to we want to go into the room and When we look into this room, we realize it's not just significant, it's foundational. So if you notice, you're reading along a different translation, you notice that uh, true knowledge is written here. A lot of translations don't have the word true in front of knowledge. Now that's just, the New American Standard makes a distinction on one Greek prefix. Thank you. My wife knows what my voice should sound like. As Ron mentioned last week, the Greek word we're dealing with for knowledge is gnosis, gnosis. And from that, we get words like uh, prognosis and diagnosis and things that we talked about last week. So here's just a, a quick definition. Functional or applied knowledge gained from firsthand experience. So the word Peter uses, and what the New American Standard draws out or highlights, is Peter uses epignosis, which is the prefix epi, which basic definition would be um, a strengthened form of the basic Greek word gnosis. So it doesn't weaken gnosis. Gnosis is still a plenty strong word and uh, very clear meaning. But it conveys the idea of full and rich and thorough knowledge and involving a degree, and this is important, of intimate understanding. However our English versions read, it's obviously important enough that Peter repeated it three times. So, in the opportunity I have here this morning, I want to look at three what I would consider crucial aspects of the knowledge of God. The true knowledge of God is objective, and it's personal and it's relational. Let me throw these verses up here, and uh, you can if you can see the highlighted uh, verses there. This is from uh, Paul. In fact, in all four of these instances, Paul uses the word epignosis, too. So we've got um, 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4. A lot of us are familiar with this. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And then 1 Timothy 4, 3. Paul is contrasting those who fall away from the faith uh, because of hypocritical liars. He contrasts those with those who believe and know the truth. And then 2 Timothy uh, 2.24-26, he's talking about correcting those who are in opposition if God may grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And then the last one, 2 Timothy 3.6-7, he refers to those who are always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. So the, the point is, I think, pretty self-evident, that in matters of knowledge, truth matters. In, in matters of truth, truth matters. Where it comes to true knowledge, truth is is crucial. I mean, think about it. If the knowledge we have isn't true, it's not even worth the brain cells it occupies. Right? So... We know that the world is full of deception and full of corrupt knowledge. We know from John 8 that the devil is a liar by nature. And we know from 1 John 5 that the whole world lies under the control of the devil. We know from Romans 1 that even though man knew God, he turned away and became futile in his thinking and that he has been given over to a depraved mind. We know uh, from 1 Corinthians 1 that man, by man's wisdom, cannot come to know God. And then we see from this last passage here in Timothy that it's possible to learn and learn and learn and learn and never come to a knowledge of the truth. Man does not default to knowledge of the truth. We default to deception and error and darkness. And we see through these verses also that knowledge of the truth is connected with repentance and is integrated with belief and faith and godliness. And it can't be separated from salvation. Belief just by itself doesn't save, and faith in and of itself doesn't save. Faith by itself doesn't accomplish. It. I mean, you hear people saying, "Oh, you just to believe strong enough," right? Or just just have faith, and it's kind of an open-ended, nebulous faith. But there has to be a there has to be a true, objective object or or body of truth, and that is that truth is what God has done for us through His Son Jesus, revealed only in Scripture. And that's called the gospel, the gospel. And that's what Ron's been systematically going through week after week in our study of Romans. John MacArthur writes, The knowledge that brings salvation does not come from feelings or intuition or emotion or personal experience, but only from the revealed truth based on the gospel preached in and from the word of God. So, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. So, by logic and by its very definition, there is only one truth. In fact, I just finished a whole series of lessons on a and the in English. And that's, that's why we always use the definite article in, with truth. We always say the truth, the truth unless you're talking about a list of, of truth items. But, but in general, we always say the truth. Of course, in postmodern society, in the postmodern culture we live in now, we're starting to hear more and more a truth, or my truth, or your truth. But there is only one gospel. The scripture is clear. There's only one gospel that saves. Jude calls it the faith, once for all, handed down to the saints. That means we need to make sure we get it right and that we hold it tight and that we guard it carefully. Wrong knowledge leads to wrong believing. And wrong believing results in making wrong decisions. And wrong decisions can sometimes result in real and sometimes tragic consequences. It's especially true in the medical field, isn't it? If a doctor makes a wrong diagnosis and gets the wrong knowledge, and then believes you have a problem that's different from the one you actually have, and then he decides on a prescription that's the wrong one, that can have serious consequences for the patient and for the doctor. He gets sued. But when spiritual matters, the stakes are much, much higher because wrong knowledge leads to wrong believing. Wrong believing results in misdirected faith. And that not only has life consequences, it has eternal consequences. True knowledge. This is one of, uh, this has got to be one of Paul's strongest statements. It's in Galatians 1. Uh, Paul says, But even if we or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. He's eternally condemned. And if that's not strong enough, he repeats it. As we have said before, so I say again now, that if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, he is to be accursed. This is deadly serious. It's absolutely crucial that we keep a firm grip on the knowledge of the truth of the gospel. That's why later on after the service um, today we're going to be introducing the Truth Project. We uh, introduced it a little bit last weekend. But it's, it's a great opportunity for us to dig deep into what is truth and, and why it matters so much. So it's obvious that true knowledge presupposes truth. Uh, It's axiomatic. The second key aspect I want to look at here is while it's crucial that our knowledge is accurate and according to biblical truth, knowledge about God and about Jesus is not adequate. True knowledge of God is both objective and personal. Scripture is very, very clear on this, starting way back in the Old Testament. This is not a New Testament concept. Jeremiah 9.24, for example, Um, But let him who boasts, boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. Or Jeremiah 24, 7, I will give them a heart to know me, for I am the Lord. They will be my people. I will be their God, for they will return to me with their whole heart. Or Hosea. You know, for as long as Hosea is just, it's not a very long book, but it has many references to knowing God. This this is a couple from chapter 6 here. So let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. And then three verses down. For I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice, and in the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. There's... Many verses. I, I can't, there's no way I can cover them all. Let me just put up this one here. Second, uh, First Chronicles 28 and 9. This is David's charge to Solomon before David died and handed the kingdom over to Solomon. As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. See the pattern? See what the connections are? We even see negative ones like. Uh, 1 Samuel 2.12 The sons of Eli were worthless men. The Hebrew in all those cases sons of Belial. Whoa. They did not know the Lord. They were sons of the priest. And they were working in the temple. But this uh, carries over into the New Testament too. John 17.3 Jesus, when he's praying to his Father, he's praying to the Father and he distills salvation down to its very essence. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent, that they may know you look at how um, I'm going to put First John 5.20 this actually brings it together with objective knowledge and personal and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true in His Son Jesus Christ it is intimate it's an intimate knowledge, and that's why John can write. In uh, I won't put it up here, but John writes in First in John two. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know Him uh, who has been from the beginning. And then he says later, I have written to you, children, because you know the Father. You know that's why when we when we quote unquote introduce someone to Jesus Christ, what does that imply? It implies that we know him. You know someone and you introduce him to someone else so that that person can know him and he can know them. And then they know each other. And they can develop their relationship on their own. They don't need a mediator after that. It assumes that we know Jesus Christ, doesn't it? I was going to give an analogy on... uh, on the Saturday. I didn't do it, but I thought, ah, maybe I'll do it now. Okay? You know, I've, over the years, I've taught a lot of high school students, and I've taught literally thousands, and I mean thousands, of high school girls. And it's pretty routine for them to be all gaga over some, you know, popular actor or musician, or, you know, they have pictures and stickers and, you know, clear folders and, and all sorts of stuff with these pretty boys. And, uh, you know, they say things like, oh, I, l- I love him so much, you know, or I love... Who's that Korean actor that was, like, a few years ago with that w- Winter Sonata thing? Yeah. Actually, you know what? That wasn't just high school girls. That was like middle-aged women. That were <laughs> anyway, you know, I, never, I, n- I would never say it out loud to them, but this is what I think is, you know, you guys, you don't really love him. For one thing, you don't even know him. You may know a lot about him, right? They read all the magazines and they watch all the stuff, and, and right, and they they know what he eats for breakfast. They know they know what he likes to read. They know what he likes, you know. They they know what he thinks about different issues. They hang on every word they say publicly. But you don't actually know him. You might be impressed by his looks or his style but you don't really love him. You can't if you don't really know him. And what's worse, he doesn't love you. (laughs) In fact, he doesn't know you. (laughs) In fact, he doesn't even know about you. (laughs) And when you write those letters to him, I hate to say it, but it goes to some paid staffer in the fan club (laughs) office, Ouch <laughs> reality can be harsh. But the contrast, I mean, listen to the contrast here. This is truth. Galatians. Two phrases this is from Galatians four and nine. Now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by him. Wow. We can't even get near a celebrity. But we can know the creator of the universe. And we can know him personally. Not only that, but we can be personally known by him. And that takes us to the third, and that is that true personal knowledge is not a one way matter. It's it, it goes both ways. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. We think, well, doesn't the Lord know everything about everybody anyway? But listen, I'm going to put up Exodus 33:17 here. The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight. I have known you by name. And that doesn't simply mean that that in his omniscience, God knows everything about Moses, like his name or how many hairs he has on his head. But he knew him by name, personally and intimately. After Moses died, Deuteronomy 34 says, 10 says, Since that time, No prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Well, then we think, well, that's Moses, right? He's in a category all of his own. He was one of a kind. But if we look back at the John 10 passage here, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me and I know the Father. That's intimate knowledge. Look at what uh, Paul says in First Corinthians 13. He's speaking of what's to come, and he says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. For I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. Now, that's a great passage for teaching tense, because in one passage you get all three tenses. (laughs) But don't miss the more important point here. What he's saying is that he knows in part now from, from this earthly tent. But ultimately, when he gets to heaven, in the future, he will know fully. But he has already been fully known from the past and that's Paul so not only can we can we know and be known but we must know and be known you know this is a very very poignant and sobering passage but we can't ignore it at the end of the Sermon on the Mount Jesus said this this is in Matthew 7 21-23 Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? They weren't ignorant of who Jesus was or his miraculous power. But he continues, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That leads to a whole other area. But let me just say this, that it's not only what we say. True knowledge, being in a true relationship with Jesus Christ, It has a direct effect on what we do and how we live. 1 John, chapter 1, the very beginning of 1 John, chapter 1, I think brings some perspective on this. Now, John doesn't use the word know or knowledge in this section, but I think the relational aspect of it is pretty clear, especially with the notion of fellowship. It's a little bit of a long passage, but let me just read through it. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes and what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. They knew Jesus, literally. They, they literally knew him firsthand. They touched him. And the life was manifested, displayed and shown to them. And we have seen and testify and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, And what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. Let me continue here. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say, and there's that word, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice. And there's the word practice again. We do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. It goes both ways. And the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin, knowing him, knowing him, truly affects how we walk and how we live our daily lives. You know back in Peter's first letter, he writes, he writes this as a statement of fact. First Peter one, you know we think the disciples were with him. He says, "Even though you have not seen him." You love him. Is that not a crucial part of what it means to have a true relational knowledge of him? So when Jesus says, you know, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. It will impact the way we live. Uh, 1 John 2, I'm going to put this one up. 1 John 2 just puts it very plainly By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, there's that word again, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. There's the word truth. But whoever keeps his word, the love of God has truly been perfected. Just to lift out 1 Corinthians 8.3, just to round it out. If anyone loves God, he is known by him. So, let me reiterate. We can't know Jesus Christ or God the Father without first knowing about him. right? So, knowledge of the truth is crucial. Paul said the Jews were zealous for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. They missed God's righteousness because of that. That's one big reason we study the Bible. Without objective knowledge of the truth, we have no framework. So we're vulnerable and to wander away. Hosea said, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. But we can't stop at intellectual or factual or head knowledge. It needs to be personal. It needs to be in our hearts. And that's the reason why we have our English department motto. And we didn't make this up last week. We've had this for several years now. The English Department of MCC exists to glorify God by making disciples who know, and that word has always been in bold, I'm not sure if everyone noticed that, but disciples who know Jesus Christ, making him known in Tokyo and the world. That's not scripture, but it's based on it. We can have a brain full of Bible knowledge and systematic theology And we can use all the jargon and we can use all the Christianese and we can even have a seminary degree and we can parse nouns and verbs in Greek and still miss out. Many will say to him, many will say to him, he says on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons and perform many miracles? That's That's an awfully impressive resume. But he says, I never knew you. A relational knowledge includes love and fellowship. It means to belong to Him. It means to be adopted by Him. And it means we walk in His light. And loving Him means we walk in obedience to Him. There's one more thing. It sounds like an Apple event. <laughs> yeah, you know, we see the disciples as being a very, very privileged group. I mean, Peter, James, and John, they saw Jesus glorified, they were with Him on the mountain. In fact, they were the only three disciples allowed to see it. Yet, Peter, back in verse 1, says, we have received a faith of the same kind as theirs. We think, how can that be? They were actually with Jesus. They saw him, they touched him, they knew him firsthand. They saw his glory. But listen to what Jesus says to Peter and John and all the other disciples who were in his presence physically on his last night before he was crucified. I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Boy, they had to be thinking, advantage? How could that possibly be? But then he said, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. I will ask the Father, this is back a couple chapters, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be In you. It doesn't get any more intimate than that. And we know from Jesus' prayer in chapter 17 that that promise is for us too. And that's how it's possible that we can have a faith of the same kind as Peter and James and John and the rest of the disciples. We can share in that greater advantage One of the things that we're going to see in the Truth Project is one of the kind of the question he asks is, do you really believe that what you believe is really real? Do we really believe that? Do we really understand that? Do we really know it? Because that's what it means to know him for those who come to him in faith and trust, knowing who he is, knowing what he's done in dying for our sins and being raised again. And because of that, we can ask him as a living Savior to save us and take away our sins and to take us as his own. And he is in us, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth, that's objective, personal, and relational firsthand knowledge. Let's pray. Lord, we want to we understand, like Paul did when he said that um, all the things he'd attained, all the learning, all the status, all the knowledge he attained as a religious man, he considered it waste compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. Lord help us to know you and to to to, to press on to know you to um, to see everything else as waste as trash compared to knowing you. Lord, we want to know you in truth and in in reality. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.